Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Uh, Now, Genesis 23, verse 1. Okay. And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place for her. No, what does it say? No, give me a possession for a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres, bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. And he communed with them, saying, If it be in your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of his field, for as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for a possession of a burying place amongst you. All right, now, in our last study, you remember that we were looking at this searching statement here in verse 1, where it says, and Sarah was 107 and 20 years old, and these were the years of the life of Sarah. So you look at that verse, and you see the colon, and you see the, what comes before the colon, you see what comes after the colon, and the part before the colon, we read from Earth's perspective, it's like an obituary. It's an obituary fact about Sarah. She was 127 years old, and she died. But in the part of the, after the colon of verse 1, we read from heaven's perspective the internal importance. What I'm saying there is that these are the 127 years, these were this time that Sarah had here on earth. That was her time that was given to her by God. Just like, as we studied last week, just like when Jacob talked to Pharaoh in Genesis 47, 9, and he said, the days of the years of the life of my servant. So in other words, these were the days of the years of the life of Sarah. And it's interesting how the Hebrew puts it because it uses what it says in the Hebrew. It says, Shnaim Shnei, Shnaim Shnei Hayat Sarah. So in other words, it's saying the word Shnaim is years. And uh, Shnei is also years, but it's, it's Shnei, Shnei Shnel. It's uh, years of or the years about. You know, Hebrew has a lot of shortcuts, you know, because why shouldn't they have shortcuts? So it's a lot of shortcuts. So it really, it's, it's a, but it's a double emphasis here. So the phrase is appearing twice. So it's saying here, it's saying, first it says, these are the years, Shnaim, and these are the years of the life of Sarah. So the, he's saying, these are the years, but they're not just any years. These are the years of the life of Sarah. 
Those were the years that God gave for Sarah to live on earth. And that statement emphasizes for us a truth behind a poem. We all know this phrase, you know, of only one life till all is past, only what's done for Christ will last. We all know that. Do you know where that came from? Do you know where that came from? That was a poem that was written by the Babe Ruth of the cricket world in England. You know who that was? That was C.T. Studd, C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd was the Babe Ruth of the cricket world of England. He gave his life, he gave everything. He left it all and he went to be a missionary to join Hudson Taylor in China. And then he went to India and pastored there for a while and then for Africa. And when he left England, he made this statement. He said, some want to live within the sound of a church bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's what he said. And he wrote this song, this, this, it goes like this. Two little lines... Here's his poem. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a brief few years, with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now to turn, leaving for thee, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I'll know, I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has burned out for thee. That's the song. That's where it all comes from. And that was Sarah. And those were the life of Sarah. And only what's done for Jehovah Jesus lasted in Sarah's life. And so for the lost, there's one most important decision to make during the years of their life, and that is whether or not to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as God and Savior. You know, I got a call yesterday, I was preparing this from Richard Peretz, a, a friend who has the what's it called? Shalom Now TV show. It's about Israel. He's an Israeli, and he's, he was all worked up over the war in Gaza and wanted me to come with a group of Jewish people to Israel that he would make us uh, press people, you know, so we could go and meet Lieberman, the government, uh, the government people, so we could help in the war effort. And I told him, you don't want me on your trip. No. <laughs> I said, I am going to speak to every person in that group about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he was told me how worked up he was. He was only sleeping three hours each night because he was worried about the Gaza war. He said, don't you care? Don't you care about the people dying? Don't you care about the 67 Israelis that have died and the 1,700 Palestinians? And I told him, I care about them. I care about where those 67 Israelis went after they died. And I care about those 1,700 Palestinians and where they went after they died. And I want to make sure that others who will die will go to heaven when those bombs drop out of the sky. And then I asked him, I said, how old are you? And he told me, 67. I asked him, I said, if he knew the average life expectancy for a male in the U.S. And he said he didn't know and he didn't want to know. (laughs) And I told him it was 76, which means on on average, I said, you have about nine more years to live unless you're like my wife, who died at 67. And I told him, well, what a tragedy it would be if in your life, if you let yourself be so distracted And this final stage of your life by the war in Gaza that you ignored becoming a child of God by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as God and Savior. He said, yes, he said, but I just don't have time to think about that right now. Maybe someday, he said, this is the way he puts it, maybe someday we can sit down under a shade tree with a glass of lemonade and have a philosophical discussion of the meaning of life. So it's not exactly a philosophical discussion on the meaning of life. This is the crux between heaven and hell. And what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Mark 8, 36 or 37, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So what's a man going to give in exchange for his soul? Now, we study the impact of the statement in verse 2, where we read that Sarah died in the land of Canaan. Now, Sarah, with Abraham, they had the promise that that land of Canaan was going to be their own. But she died. She died and she didn't receive the land. She never saw that. She never received the promise. Now, turn, I don't ask you to turn very often, so you should be willing to turn to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, if you turn this, you go, this chapter in Hebrews 11, the great men and women of God who were the women of faith, and it includes Abraham and Sarah, and it's a chapter about their faith. And it starts off in verse 1 and explains what faith is. Faith, he, says, he says faith is very is this tangible. He says it's substance, what you can see for things that are hoped for. It's evidence, which can be seen. And then it says in verse 2, by it, by faith, the elders, or the, um, the people before, the elders obtained a good report. So in other words, let me just ask you an obvious question. What good is faith? What is faith good for? What's the benefit that faith brings to us? What's your answer? Well, I just said it for you. Look at verse 2. Verse 2. You get a good report. You get a good report. That's a benefit. That's a big benefit. You get a good report. You know, it's a report card. You get a good report card. You know, Cheryl homeschooled our kids for 14 years. In the last three years, they went to Christian High. And so at Christian High, David, he was bound and determined to become the Valor Victorian. And so he was out there calculating to the 100th decimal point, his grade point average, you know, all the way through and make sure you got, anyway. And when they got up there and said, okay, Valor Victorian, David, that, that was a good report. It was a good report. And, and so, you know, we're on a life course. You and I are on a life course. And at the end of our life, we're going to get a report. And the question is, is it going to be a good report or a bad report? How did we do in our life? We want a good report. We like a good report. And so this explains to us it's through faith that we get the good report. As it says there, it's through faith that we get this good report. Now jump down to verse 11 there. I mean, it's verse 8. 
where it says this, by faith, when he was called to go into a place that he should afterward receive for inheritance, this is Abraham, he obeyed, he went out, not knowing whither he went. So, what does that verse say that Abraham did because of his faith? He He went out. He went out of Ur of the Chaldees. Now, it says that Abraham went out of Ur of the Chaldees by faith because of what he believed. What did Abraham believe that made him willing to leave his home? It tells us that in the verse. The answer is in the verse. What did it tell us? Why did he leave? Yeah, it's a, he said that he should after, it is a promise, but the promise was that he should after receive an inheritance. See, Abraham, very, you know, he says that this is better than here, so you mean I'm going to go with him. So he said, God made an inheritance promise to him, and it was better than he could get in Ur of the Chaldee. The Chaldee's there. Now, looking at verse 9, what did Abraham do because of his faith further? He lived like an alien. He lived like a stranger. He sojourned in in tents, tabernacles, like a pilgrim. And uh, why did he do that? What did he believe that caused him to live in tents? As strangers, verse 10 tells us that. Verse 10, what does it say in verse 10, that why he did that? He was looking for a city. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. He believed that there was a city whose builder and maker is God. And he looked at the cities of Sodom, and he looked at the cities around in Canaan, he looked at the city of Gomorrah, and he said, this is not it. God did not build this city of homosexuality. He said, I didn't leave Ur of the Chaldees, one city of sin, for another city of sin. I'm not going to settle down here. These are too infused with sin. You know, and so he kept moving. He kept moving. You know, that's a danger in our lives. God wants us to always be ready to go to heaven and not to go wander off into this world. Our lives need to be like we're waiting in the waiting lounges of the airport, waiting for our flight to heaven to be called. And we don't know when it's going to be called. Last night was a great shock. Tim Sneeden, the pastor that went to school with David at Bob Jones, he'd been working for many years and setting up Metro Baptist Church in uh, Point Loma with his, his wife, Eileen. And uh, they had been working and working, and, and uh, you know, it was around 50. And then all of a sudden, you know, the message comes through, Tim last night has this heart attack, and he's gone to glory. Just like that. And so that's the way God wants us to live in this world. Like we're in the waiting lounge of an airport, waiting for our flight to be heaven to call. His flight to heaven was called. And nobody in their right mind would ever call a waiting lounge of an airport their home, except for Tom Hanks. Anyway... <laughs> And neither should we call the waiting lounge of this world our home. Now, still in Hebrews 11, look at verses 13 and 15. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They were persuaded of them. They embraced them, and then they confessed. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. They that say such things declare plainly they seek a country And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. So like Sarah dying in the promised land of Canaan without receiving the promise of the land, these people of God in Hebrews 11, they died the same way. They all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off. And in other words, they kept God in their view. They kept heaven where God is in their view, firmly in their sight. They meditated on the word of God. They sung about God. They worshiped God. They prayed to God. It was God, 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 all the time God, and then God. And they built a life for themselves that was all about God. 
And that enabled them to continually see God's promises afar off, that eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard, the things that he's laid up for him. That's how we should all live. That's how we should live. This is what Moses meant when he said in Deuteronomy 6, 5, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Mr. Peretz then told me, and I was, I was explaining this to him, he says to me, yes, but the Torah says that you need to have flour so that you can study. <laughs> I, said, I said, the Torah nowhere says that. <laughs> I says, but I know some people who say that. <laughs> anyway, all right, so now looking at verse 13 and seeing how those believers filled their vision with the promises of God. What did those promises, what effect did those promises have on those believers? What does it say? They persuaded them. See, these believers, when they were looking at these promises, they filled their lives and their vision with these promises, what we should do. Those promises persuaded them. They changed them. And after he fills the vision, after the believer fills his vision with the promises of God and they persuade him, what does the verse say that those believers did with the promises of God? They embrace them. They embrace them. They embrace them. You know, picture a little kid. You give him a teddy bear, and he hugs it, and he embraces, and he says, my teddy, my teddy bear. That's what they did. They said, these are my promises here. They embrace them, and they said, those are not just the promises of God. Those are my promises of God. They embrace them. That's a beautiful word. And then from verse 13, what evidence? Then what happened? What evidence that those believers had embraced the promises of God? What was the evidence then? Next word. They confessed. They confessed. They confessed. See, it was because they saw them. It's because they let them influence them. It's because they wrapped their arms around and said they were theirs. And therefore, they confessed, I'm in the waiting lounge. I'm a stranger and I'm a pilgrim here. You see? And that's what they did. Now, in verse 15, expresses the greatest danger that believers faced and that you and I face. And it's one word. What's that word? Yeah, that's right. The greatest danger is to return, and the greatest danger to returning is to become mindful. That's a beautiful word. Mindful, full of mind. Let the world fill their mind. That's a danger. That's a pattern for our lives, see? Keep the promises of God in front of us. Let our minds embrace the promises of God. Let those promises persuade and change our lives. Openly confess that we're strangers and pilgrims and our, the greatest challenge so that we can have a good report through faith and our greatest danger is to not let our mind become full with the entertainments of the world, with the television of the world, with the movies of the world. See? So our challenge is to not allow this world to fill our mind to become so that the world becomes our home. As a matter of fact, Abraham... He actually didn't own any property. It's interesting with this passage we're reading here. Because in Acts 7.5, it says that God gave him none inheritance in it, in Canaan. No, not so much as to put his foot on, but he promised that he would give him for possession and a seed after him when he had no child. The only exception to that is this burial ground, this burial cave. And I don't think he wanted to set his foot on that very often. But anyways, he purchased this earth there. And he never would have bought this property except that he needed a place to bury Sarah. It's the only reason he did it. And that property always reminded Abraham, this world's not my home. But it was just a repository for the body of, of Sarah, the shell in which Sarah occupied. And that would be the repository for Abraham's body and for Isaac's body and Jacob's body and Joseph's body. So the real challenge for us is to keep us from saying, this world's not bad. I'm quite happy here. 
How do we do that? Well, one way is by keeping in our mind the Lord Jesus Christ. Thinking about how he lived on this earth. You know, he died when he was 33 years old. He didn't have a wife, didn't have a physical family, but he made the family of God. I was thinking of Muriel and Bert Poole, how they loved children, and they tried for 10 years to have children, but they couldn't have children. Yet, like the Lord, they had many spiritual children. And Bert and Muriel never had the joy of children running around and their own children running around their home. I was thinking of Mildred Dombo, your stepmother. Stepmother, yeah, right. Mother. I was going to say mother-in-law, but that wasn't right. But anyway, stepmother, you know. And how in her life, widowed twice, and it was very dangerous to marry her. <laughs> and she never had any children, yet the Lord, she had many spiritual children. And I consider myself one of her children. But she never had the joy of having children running around her home. And the Lord Jesus Christ, when he spoke about his life in Luke 9, 58, he said, and Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So he said, he had no place to call home, no comfort of a home, no safety of a home, yet he gave a home in heaven to many. And it was because he left his home, as we were talking this morning, it was because he left his home in heaven and came here to a place without a home that he was able to be set about him in Hebrews 2.10, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. Bringing many sons unto glory. He brought many sons to glory. And in Revelation 7, 9, it says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, peoples, tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hands. As we were singing, on Friday night, behold what manner of love, 1 John 3, 1, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Now, the key verse for us to keep in making this world a home is in Micah 2.10, where it says, arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest, it is polluted, it shall destroy you even with the sore destruction. You know, the two words there are very interesting. Well, it says destroy and destruction. They're not the same word, but they're related. And the first word, chabal, for destroy, is used for a rope that is slowly tightened. And it causes a person to writhe in pain. And then the second word, chebel, which is related to it, that's the word that's used for a noose that chokes a person to death. And so what God is saying is that if we try to make this earth our rest, then it's going to slowly strangle us like an anaconda. It's going to choke off our life breath like a noose around our neck. And so God has ways, thank God, but he has ways to keep his own from making this world their home. And a beautiful picture of this in some of the ways that God has, the way that God has, is in Exodus 1. Whereas if you kind of follow progression there, it goes like this. Exodus 1 says, the children of Israel came into Egypt. And then it says in the verse 7 of Exodus 1, 7, the children of Israel were fruitful, they increased abundantly, they multiplied, they waxed exceeding mighty, the land was filled with them. So, you know, because they were fruitful and increased with and exceeding mightily, they were in danger of saying, who needs Canaan? Life's pretty good here. I'm just fine in Egypt, thank you very much. And that's true of us. When the world smiles on us and when we're fruitful and life is good, then we're in danger of saying, who needs heaven? Life's good down here. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 